If you have your Bibles, open them up. We are going to wrap up our study in 1 John today. Actually, we're finished with 1 John. We're moving on. John actually wrote three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So as you guys know, we spent the last eight weeks in 1 John, and we've been hammering one nail really for the last eight weeks, and that is love one another. And Grandpa John, who is late in life, who writes to us this epistle, he he wants us to um, love one another. And now um, that's done, and we get this next two little letters, simple letters. You guys can turn them first, our second epistle of John, 13 verses, real short. Maybe even on the same page, you get third John, another little letter. And we're going to go through them both both today, and then we're going to receive communion and try to do it fairly quickly. So the the, the heart of um, first John was, was love one another. And, and, and I, I want to wrap up that series, but I, I, I want to encourage us. And, and listen, if you've been here for the last eight weeks, maybe you haven't been here for the last eight weeks. You've been out running or something and just life's been good. And um, so it was love one another. But I want us to take that personally and practically. Okay? I want us to, 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 to apply that to our lives somehow. I don't want to preach for the last eight weeks on this message that comes out of the word from John to love one another. Now we're going on to, to study another portion of the Bible, and maybe this isn't emphasized as much in this part, and we just we let that go. Because really the essence, the heart of Christianity is, is love, and it's, it's loving. And so finding an area of our life, as we talked about the last, week, last eight weeks in love. As, as we get into Second John today, um, still love, but love coupled with, and John is going to deal with some practical issues here. And he's going to take these two concepts, truth and love, and he's going to put them together. Let's look at um, 2 John and the epistle, verse number 1. And it says, the elder. Who's the elder? All caps. So John, elder, meaning that he was older in age, is, is, is the biblical definition of an elder, not to be confused with a local elder. Um, the elder John was actually an older gentleman, an elder in the church. And it says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth. You guys highlight in your Bible, you underline your Bible. We're looking at the word today, truth. Okay, so truth, when you see it, underline it, highlight it. You're going to see it um, five times here in this little epistle. Now, um, first John addresses this letter um, to the elect lady. In the next um, verse, her name is Gaius, or to Gaius. And so... But we, we don't know who this is. And people argue about who this letter was addressed to. And one school says this and one school says that. And I'm not going to get into that day. I don't think it's important because I think what's important is what John says in the context of his message. You know, um, true story. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I was in my bachelor's degree in Bible college. I was looking at some seminary classes. And there's a seminary class. And it's an entire semester. And it's called Who Wrote the Book of Isaiah? And I'm thinking... I should take that class because I'm pretty sure I could ace it like in about 30 seconds. Uh, let me think. Maybe Isaiah. Hey, did I get an A? But, but they're going to spend a whole semester. Literally, this is going on in colleges in America, so-called Christian colleges. And they're going to study who wrote the book of Isaiah for, for 12 weeks. But don't you think it would be more valuable and more important to us if we actually just studied what did Isaiah say? And what does the word of God say in the book of Isaiah? And so we don't want to lose any sleep over whether this was addressed to an individual or a body or, um, or, or who it was. But we can focus on what it is in the letter that's important. And he goes on and it says in verse number two, because of the, 
which abides in us. John likes that word abide. A couple words John likes. Truth, love, and abide. Because of the truth which abides in us. And we will be with and in us and will be with us forever. Grace, verse 3, and mercy and peace will be with you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in what? Truth and love. So in, in truth and love. We're, we're going to unpack this um, in this first part and just understanding that we have to have both. You know, one of the things that, that Paul describes in the book of Romans, and we're going to get to Romans here in, uh, in a couple of weeks. We're going to start a study in the book of Romans. Um, before we get there, when we get there, we're going to find out that there's this kind of headbutting that goes on in your life and in my life between the flesh and the spirit. And the Paul, Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And there's this constant struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Things that are godly, that are good, that I want to do, and things that my flesh wants. And that's where you and I live every day, right, is in this battle. The other one here that John's going to address is the same kind of battle between truth and love. Now, it's really important that we as Christian people have truth. But, but if all we have is truth, 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 and no love, then, then we're going to be out of balance. And all we, if all we have is love, love, love with no truth, then we're out of balance the other way. So they go hand in hand. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. Some of you might think like an old peanut butter and honey. Like soup and sandwiches. Like, what else? The Dodgers and winning? <laughs> I don't know. They, 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 truth and love. Now, there, there is this concept of absolute truth. And, and we need to have absolute truth. It needs to be something that is, is important to you as a, as a Christian person. And we're going to talk about absolute truth in a minute. But you know what? Have you guys ever seen those, those street preachers or certain people and they, they stand on the corner maybe with a mega horn and they, they're yelling at people and they're like red-faced and they're angry and they're like, Jesus loves you! <laughs> like, tell your face, you know, like, joy of the Lord will be our strength! And they're really angry or they might shout things like, turn or burn or, you know, your sinners are going to hell! Well, really, if you just listen to what they're saying, oftentimes, it's true. If, if, you, if you die in unrepentant sin, you'll go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches, right? If you don't repent of your sins, if you don't receive forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ and receiving that by faith, the Bible says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I can stand on the corner and I can yell at you and I can say, turn or burn, you're going to go to hell. If you die, you're going to hell if you don't repent of your sins. And I have, I have truth, but I don't have any love. And, and I don't know where those guys get off. I don't know. I don't, I don't hate on them too much. Maybe there's just somebody that needs that punch in the face to, to turn around. And it works for one guy. And, and they're out there for a reason. And God bless them. It's not my style. And, and, and I don't think that, that, I think it lacks, right? And then we have on the other side of the coin, we, we have so many churches in America today and so many preachers who, you know, they smile and there's little like sparkle thing comes on their teeth. Ting! And their hair is like suave, perfect, and their suit's dapper. And, and, and they're just going to tell you how wonderful you are and how much they love you and God loves you. And again, is there truth in that? There is truth. But, but all love with, without truth is, is, is missing on the other side where we're not going to deal with sin. We're never going to talk about the, the places in the Bible. The Bible says that you will suffer persecution. 
especially if you're married. The Bible, the Bible teaches that you'll go through trials and tribulations. And, you know, we, we have to have this balance between truth and love that's healthy. And, that, and that's what John is dealing with. Now, back to truth. I said we we're going to talk about truth. And we've established that I think in order to be a healthy Christian, in order to have a healthy life, we have to balance truth and health. And that truth and love. You know, for you and me, we, we live there, right? That's where I live because I want to tell people that I love dearly friend of mine that I, that I grew up with that, that really has probably been my friend since I think I met him in sixth grade. And we, we've been friends since, since sixth grade. And so I've been friends with him about 10 years now that I'm 16. And, um, and, and he started smoking pot in seventh grade and hasn't stopped. He's been smoking weed a long time. And, and by the grace of God, he, he texts me out of the blue a couple of weeks ago and he says, Chris, what do, what do I need to do to be saved? I was like, that's good living. When you get a text on your phone, like just get to lead someone to Jesus, and all you got to do is answer a text on your phone. And, 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 but, you know, prior to that, getting that text, I could call him and say, hey, man, you know what, that, that lifestyle that you're leading, you're, you're going to go to hell, and, and, and you're going down a road that, that, that is contrary to God, and, and, and it's going nowhere. And, and yet, I want to tell him that. My heart wants to tell him the truth. You're, you're living in sin, and, you know, this girl that you live with is not your wife, and there's some problems, man. You've got to get right. But I can't just call him and tell him. He's not going to receive that, right? He's not, that's not, that's no, there's no love. There's a lot of truth. And so I struggle because I want, everything wants me to witness to him and tell him, but how do I do it? How do I find a loving way to tell him the truth? And, and it starts with prayer. I'll just give you the answer right now. It starts with prayer and you just pray. And what happened in this particular situation is, uh, and not, not saying it was a result of me praying for this guy, but over a period of time, God began to work on his heart supernaturally, miraculously. And God began to call him. And, and God did something apart from any of us. And then when he was ready, God, he said, hey, Chris, he said, God told me to, to reach out to you and, and ask you some questions about God in the Bible. And so God put it on his heart. Hey, call Chris and, 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 and ask him some questions about God. And then I got to share with him. I got to, I got to, you know, lead him. But at that point, the Holy Spirit had already began to tug on his heart. Now, um, with truth and love, absolute truth. Is it important for you as Christians that you have or you understand or there is such a thing as absolute truth? There is, right? And what's risen up, something that I just, just makes my face twist because I just don't get it. I'm not wired this way. But there, there's this philosophy, there's this system out there, relativism, um, where it's like everything is relative. If, it's, if one thing is true, we got a, a red car parked in the parking lot. And you say it's red and you say it's blue and somebody says, what does it matter? It's blue to him and it's red to her. Then it is what it is. No, you moron. It's either red or it's blue. It can't be both. And, you know, it's got to be one or the other. But there's this relativism that it, it just says, oh, all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't matter if you believe in, in Jesus or if you believe in Hare Krishna or the trees or the moon. If you just follow what you believe and you do what is right, then all roads eventually are going to lead to heaven and everything is okay and you're okay and we're okay and we're all okay. And there's no truth. There's no absolute truth. And yet John is very interested and concerned with truth. Now, I, I want to, as, I, as we've been around here a while, I always tell you, whenever I want to make a case for something biblically, I, I look at Jesus, 
And then first starting in the gospel somewhere, what did Jesus say about the issue? Then I look at what are the people, the apostles, what, how did they comment on the issue? So I want to look at a couple with you real quick. I want you to turn with me, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. But let's start in John chapter 17 real quick. And in John chapter 17, um, speaking about this idea of truth. Now, for us, again, what, what I'm dealing with right now is that it's important for us as Christian people that we do have an absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. There is, there is a right and a wrong. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong, and there is a way to know it. There is a way to find it. And, and we, we, we don't want to be stuck in this um, relativism, this relative world that we live in where, oh, does it really matter? Does it really matter? Well, yeah, it kind of matters. Let's, let's see what Jesus had to say. In John chapter 17, the Gospel of John, in verse number 17, Jesus, now Jesus is praying in John chapter 17. Such a heartfelt chapter John 17 is. In this chapter, Jesus is hours away from dying on the cross, and, and he's not talking to anybody. He's pr- praying directly to the Father. He's praying to God, and he's praying directly for you and for me. And if you get some time this week, take John chapter 17 and separate yourself and just connect, because if you can make this connection to hear the heart of Jesus in this prayer, man, it'll bring you to tears. It'll encourage you. It'll bless you. And Jesus is praying for you here in John chapter 17, personally, individually. And John prays, or Jesus prays, and John records, and Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your, you guys with me? Your word is... So Jesus says that his word is truth. Sanctify them. What does sanctify mean? Sanctify means to set apart. So set them apart based on truth. Your word is true. And and so all the way through the, the Bible, we get this recurring theme that according to the testimony of the word of God, that, that the word of God is true. It's true. It's true. And Jesus says here, sanctify them by your word. Your word is true. Do you guys remember when, um, if you're right there in John, let's look at chapter 18 and verse 38. Um, Pilate is, is trying Jesus and Jesus is giving testimony. And, and in uh, verse number 37, Pilate says, therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king for this cause. I was born and for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, the question that we all want to know, what is truth? You know, what's crazy right there. That's such like a cliffhanger. Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? And you're like, sweet. I mean, he's already told us, but you're going to get the answer plain and simple right here. And then Pilate turns and he leaves the scene and he goes and he tells the religious people and the people that are persecuting Jesus. He says, I find no fault in this man. And and you guys know the rest of the story. He doesn't get let go. but, um, But Jesus never, Pilate doesn't stick around long enough to hear that answer because Pilate had his answer. And Jesus already told us in the previous chapter that that his word is truth. And then just turn back a page to John chapter 14. And we're looking at examples of Jesus. This is something that that each one of us should have committed to memory. John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through me. Everybody likes to quote the first half of that verse, but they don't quote the second half. I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. So what is the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. Now, you know, I I don't know about you guys, but I, I have like on my, on my Facebook feed, I have like in my life, my circle of people that, um, don't see things always the way that I see them. 
And there's all, you know, everything is all political, right? For the last weeks and weeks and weeks, everything's been political. And I, for, as a rule, I, I don't get involved in too many of those discussions. I, I, I stay away from them. I don't go on them. And even when they make me angry and there's a lot of ignorance involved and I want to go on and, and fix everybody, I, I've never really had any success. And usually what happens is I go in the flesh and, and, I, and, I, and I say something to somebody and then we start going back and forth and, and never really any fruit. I've never seen anybody change that way. I've never really influenced somebody's decision on pro-life or pro-choice based on, on arguing with them over, you know, over these issues. But I'll tell you what I've seen over and over and over again. I've seen people who are far from God come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, develop a relationship with Jesus, begin to want to serve Jesus and know Jesus and, and read the Word and, and get to know the heart of God through His Son. And, and, then, and then the Holy Spirit begins to change their opinions. And then God begins to just give them a truth that is, that is from Jesus and is Jesus and a truth that is, is, is relevant and is accurate and is absolute. And that's why, you know, in these areas where, uh, you know, we're not going to argue people out of, out of what they believe. But maybe if, if we can introduce them to Jesus, that Jesus will soften their hearts. And as they get into the word, they're going to see things a little bit differently. One more. You guys turn, we're turning pages today. Sorry. Thessalonians. Another just important one. Okay. Second Thessalonians is a little harder to find. But if you have one of these Bible tabs that you marked this morning, just flip to it. And it'll bring you right to Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, right before Timothy. Listen to this. I'll read it if you haven't got there yet. It says, And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So they were deceived because they did not receive a love of the truth. And you guys, this is the, 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 the one part of First John chapter 2 that I really want to hammer, and then we're going to move on through this, is this idea that as Christian people, we, we, we need to love truth. You know, I, I spoke with some gentlemen um, recently. And, and one of the things I told him is I said, you know what bothers me about what you guys are teaching and what you want me to believe? I said that, that, that you don't really care about truth. What, what does that mean? We don't care. Well, I said, well, what about this? And what about that? I said, when it comes to, to truth and what's reality and what's really true, that, that you always go back to, well, I, I don't know about that, but I, I know this, I know this much is true. And I said, when I really break it down, you're not real interested in, in just absolute truth and finding the truth. And, and we don't need to hide from what's true. You know, every once in a while on my, on my Facebook page, I'll share an archaeological discovery. I just shared one like a week or two ago about a new discovery in Israel. That one was the one that was kind of interesting because they, they discovered um, in, in one of the, the Hezekiah's temples, the urinals. I don't know. But it was, it was a pretty cool biblical discovery. And I, and, I, and I said on there, you know, I don't share this because they're rare. They're, they're actually not rare. They're, they're thousands and thousands of discoveries and archaeological facts and evidence for the Word of God. I share this one because it's kind of cute, but um, it, it, they're, they're there. And, and so there, there is something that you, you have to be interested and have a love for what's true. You know, I'm not afraid of anything that you're going to find in the scriptures and in, in reading the word and knowing the word and studying the word and what you'll find in truth. And again, as Paul said, you know, that, that the, the Bereans were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica because the Bereans, Paul gave the word 
And then, and then this certain group in Berea where Paul was preaching, they went back and they checked what Paul said to see if it was true. And Paul commended him. He didn't get on him. He didn't get mad at him. Why don't you guys just believe me? He said, man, you guys did a good job because you went back and you checked it for yourselves. And so go and check these things and find truth and no truth. But have a love of the truth and it'll help keep you from a deception that, that, that John's going to warn us again. Let's go back to uh, John. We've got to keep moving or the, people, the next group will be standing outside all day. That's what happened in the first service. In verse 4, he said, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. And we received commandment from the Father. And so we're going to get to this verse in the next, in the next chapter, in the next book. But that there's this joy when our children walk in truth. And when John came and he saw these believers that he'd been reaching out to, and he saw that their kids were walking in truth, and that there was a joy that it brought. And it says in verse 5, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And so John goes back to that, encouraging this, this woman who's unnamed to love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. In verse 7, it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Again, you guys, some of this stuff I'm just I'm just cruising over because we've we've t- covered it in detail in the last eight weeks over First John. Um, but he says there's a group, and we know that. In John's day, one of the things I think you have to understand just in context, and especially if you're just coming in at the end of this study, is that there, there was an apostasy, uh, a heresy, false, ta- false teaching, false doctrine that was arising in the early church called Gnosticism that John is addressing and dealing with in these, in these epistles. And so when we got to that, we said, you know, we have our own Gnosticism, we have our own heresies and false doctrines and, and things going on right today in our own time that we live in that we looked at and addressed and so john is saying that that just the the reality is the bottom line is that they're they're there they're here there there's false teachers there's false christ test the spirits you can't check them all and then john says in verse number eight look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for that we may receive a full reward Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the, in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And so again, that, it's important that, that, that Jesus as the Messiah and as God. And John says that, because so many times, you guys, Satan doesn't have to take a, 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 a lie and, and just you know, or a truth and spin it 180 degrees. All he has to do is take a truth and just spin it about one degrees, right? Because one degree off is, is an untruth. And, and there's so many things that, that sound true about Jesus, about the gospel. And sometimes you see people and they, they, they share with you their faith or their testimony. And, and something's just a little off, but it sounds good, right? Like, well, they, they love Jesus or they have, I guess, a form of Jesus. And what's so wrong with that? You know, we talked about if you if you start today and we flew to Hawaii and we're one degree off and we left out today, by the time we get to Hawaii, we're going to be 400 miles. We're going to miss Hawaii by 400 miles. And it's a big deal. And so John is dealing again with this deception that that's that that has a part of the truth, but it's not a truth. And he says that they don't have Christ. Now, listen, in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, 
Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So we have here biblically John saying that that when when they come to your door and they knock on your door, that that you don't have to receive them, that you don't want to greet them. I mean, do you want to, as they're coming? And and the reality is, if we really break it down, right? And we have several groups, right? We have several different religions and belief systems who they're, they're teaching a false doctrine. And Jesus, in dealing very sternly with the Pharisees on the, on the very exact same thing, Jesus said, you, you brood of vipers. You, you basically, you sons of the devil. You, you travel the world to make a disciple. And he said, and when you make one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. And that's the way Jesus dealt with them. And, and, and John here is saying the reality is, even if they're a little off, they're a deceiver. And he says, don't, don't agree because you take part in what they're doing. And the reason why I emphasize this is because I get this question a lot. Should, should I have them in my house because I want to share the gospel with them? And, and you know what? I, I really feel like you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that this is a commandment to say that you absolutely cannot and should never reach out to, to people in your neighborhood or knocking on doors or when you travel that, that are bringing a false doctrine whether they be a Jehovah Witness or a, a Mormon missionary or, or those types of things. But oftentimes what I found is, is when they come and, and, they, and they knock on the door and people here in our church, they come and they say, Pastor Chris, should I, what should I do? You know, I'm going to have them over for dinner and we're going to talk. And then they come back and I say, how'd it go? You know, and they, oh, it was terrible. We try. You know, they did. And, and oftentimes it's just such a bad experience. So people, people um, share with me. And, and really according to this verse... You don't have to and you don't want to receive anyone who brings a false doctrine. You know, when I uh, have had conversations with people, biblical and theological conversations with people about the Bible and the Bible being true. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I felt like, especially moving here to Utah, like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to win this conversation. I'm going to show these people and they're going to be. And I go into a conversation and um, with with somebody and and it just doesn't go well at all. Nothing like I planned. Like, I just got my, like, I don't know what to say, and they leave, and they're, 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 they feel better about their faith than when they started, and I'm feeling dumb. I'm like, man, they, they defended that so well, and I didn't do a very good job. I didn't have the words to say, and, um, and I just struggled through that conversation. And, and there's been other times where, you know, it's been quite the opposite. I had this one wonderful opportunity to share my faith with, with somebody, a couple actually, and, you know, and, and they were... About halfway through, they were going, uh, well, 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 we, we, we believe that too. And, and they just didn't know what to say. And, you know, the difference was in, in those conversations, in those two occasions for me, was that couple, I really committed to praying for them. And I spent a lot of time, and I really, really honestly, they, they lived near me, and, um, and I prayed for them, and prayed, prayed, prayed that God would give me an opportunity to share with them and just, just point some things out to them and love on them. And, um, and, and there was a couple of times where somebody would, I would hear something about something they believe. And I was like driving home from work one day and I'm like, I'm going to make a beeline. I'm going to crash my car through their garage door and I'm going to have this, we're going to have this out right now. I can't believe you. Do you really believe this? And, you know, explain this to me. And I, I never did. It was always in the flesh. And I just would take that, that, that emotion. And I would pray. And sure enough, one day get a knock on the door and I open the door and they're standing there. They want to talk about God and the Bible. And, and, and it had been covered in prayer. And I stepped out and we talked on the porch for about 
I should have invited him in, I guess, huh? but I never did. We ended up staying on the porch for about almost two hours. And when it was over, it was, it was the Holy Spirit. It was led by the Spirit. It was, it was fruitful. I got to pray for him at the end. And, and I don't know what happened. You know what's the cool thing about that particular couple? Um, several months later, he got a transfer in his job and moved out of state. And I thought, you know what? Maybe God was just preparing them because they're going to get out of this environment. They're going to get out where they are and they're going to have a fresh opportunity. And I was able to plant some seeds and, and maybe able to do something that God's going God's to bless. But again, just reading the verse. And you guys can read it for yourselves. Verse 10 and 11. I'm going to read it again. It says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine. So who would that include? Everyone, right? Anyone who doesn't bring the gospel, anyone who brings a different gospel, anybody who brings a different revelation, whether it be a Hare Krishna or a Buddhist or a Muslim or anybody who brings another gospel and they want to come and they want to share it with you, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Verse 12, have many things to write to you. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full to your children, elect and sister. Real quick, guys, five, give me five minutes and we're going to be done. Maybe seven. The movie was seven minutes long, so I got seven minute grace period. Um, let's do this. Let's finish this. We'll do it. We'll do it quick. Um, so now we have this third letter of John, very short. Again, these, these letters that John would write, he'd write them back to the churches. He'd be dealing with something as, as the whole, the entire New Testament lays out. Paul would go and he would start a church in a city and he would leave and he would be doing work somewhere else. And he would hear about what was happening in the city where he planted this church, some good, some bad. And so Paul would write a letter and it would be encouraging and it would be corrective and it would be instructive back to that city where he started the church. And that's how we got so much of the New Testament. Testament are these letters inspired by the spirit. And so John is writing this letter to, to a group. And this one is addressed to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And there John loves him, but John doesn't love him in this sloppy agape, you know, we love each other, you know, and, and yet without any truth, as we already talked about, he loves him in truth. And he says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Neat prayer. And John is praying for his brother, for his friend. You can take that. You can pray those words. You can pray them over me every day if you want. <laughs> Lord, I pray that Pastor Chris is prosper in all things and in health and his soul prospers. Now, I just want to point out, I have to highlight that unfortunately this verse is taken out of context in, in so many places where that this is, you know, somebody else say, oh, you see there, right there, Paul, you know, John prayed that you'd be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And that's God's will for your life to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. I'm like, man, I just haven't met anybody that's figured that out yet. Is it just me or is it just impossible? How come there's not one person in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation who's lived a happy, healthy, wealthy life their whole life and never had to gone through anything? And it's just so inconsistent with what the scripture teaches and what life is really all about. But, but there is a doctrine out there. You just have to be on your guard for this happy, healthy, wealthy, that God's will for your life is to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And if you're not, then it's because you have a lack of faith and you know, don't, don't believe it. And when they use this verse to, to defend it, John is just praying for his friend. He's just offering a prayer. Like if you guys come up here and you say, Pastor Chris, you know, at the end of the service, we give you the opportunity to come up and pray. And you say, will you pray for me? I mean, like, Lord, I pray that he would suffer persecution and 
that he would have all kinds of trials. And, you know, I'm not going to pray that way for you, right? I mean, you know, you may be going through some things, and that may be God's will for you to, to, to enter into some things that are difficult. And, and through that, he's going to build character. And, but yet, my prayer for you is blessing. And, and so John here is just praying for blessing for his, his friends here. And then verse number four, I want to highlight this. I want you guys to hear this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You, you want to know the thing that will bring you more joy or more heartache in this life? Is that your children walk with Jesus. Amen? I mean, you know, the, the, and, and you just have to agree with John. You know, and there, there's nothing in your life that's going to bring you more heartache to see a child who's, who's lost, who's on drugs, who's living a lifestyle that is just destructive and over and over again, it just breaks your heart. And, and yet to, to have children that walk with the Lord and follow the Lord, there's, there's no greater joy. And we know that to be true. You know, I'm a young father. My oldest is 14. And now I have a newborn. And, you know, I, I, I tease, but, you know, the older three, there's, there's no hope for them. You know, I already messed them up, but I have a new one. God's given me a new baby, a new newborn baby. She's four months old and thinking I'm going to get this one right. She's going to be like a, like Philip's daughter's virgin prophetess who's just going to serve the Lord with her whole life. And, um, but, you know, we, we do some things and, you know, I, I don't really, there's no manual for raising kids. There's no right. There's no wrong. There are, there are some things in the scripture that are, that are biblical, that are advice. You can go through the Proverbs. You read the Proverbs, and Solomon gives um, practical advice in raising children and disciplining children. The Bible says that if you don't discipline your children, you hate your children. If you spare the rod, you spoil the child, and, and, and on and on. But, the, but the, in the whole of the Bible, there's really not a manual on raising kids. And that's not, you, you, don't, you think there should be, right? But there's really not. But that in those places, in marriage and in raising kids, where we don't have this detailed manual from the Lord, it requires us every day in our lives to abide in God's Holy Spirit. To live your life in such a way where, you know, it has you up at night praying for your kids. You're, you're praying for, for, for this, this evil world that we live in that, and Satan that, that wants to destroy your kids and attack your kids. Do, do you guys know that um, beer commercials, they, they're designed for people that are age 14? Their target age for beer commercials is 14 years old. Why? Because you old grumpy people have already decided what kind of beer you're going to drink. But your kids haven't yet. And so, you know, there, there's a systematic um, approach that's, that's worldly to get the attention of our kids. And, and so it's something that, again, we, we, we have to be on our guard for. We have to raise and do our best, and we rely on God's Holy Spirit and, and Jesus said that he didn't, it wasn't his desire to take them out of the world, that they would remain in the world and be salt and light, but that they, that they would be kept from the things of the world and that we would not fall in love with the things of the world. And so really quickly, and then we are done, you guys. Um, I want you to read Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I think if there is any manual, Deuteronomy chapter 6 for raising your kids, it's, it's these simple instructions that God gives us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Listen, verse number seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. 
So there's this, this call of God that, that is true today, that, that we, we take the word of God and we do our best to, to teach it to our children. We impart it into our kids. We talk about it when we rise up and when we lie down. We talk about it when we sit in our house and when we go out. Everything is covered in that. We have to put the word of God into the hearts of our, of our young people. And it's the word of God that changes people's lives. We, we have a little rule in my house, and, and I don't know how effective it is, but there's definitely fruit from it. And, and, and my kids have to read the Bible every day. And some people often say, I tell them, well, your kids read the Bible. Make them read the Bible. And they say, well, if you force it on them, then they're going to rebel or they're not going to want to do it. And I say, well, that's nice. They can rebel when they're 18. But as long as they're living in my house, they... They're going to read the Bible every day. And it's simple. You know, they, they, don't, they don't buck it too bad. Like, it, it's, it's not the end of the world, and it hasn't become that. But they're not allowed to turn on a TV. They're not allowed to. Their faces are glowing half the day, and that's not a compliment. They're glowing from the reflection of the. I always tell them your face is glowing, and they know that I'm, I've had about enough of that for the day. So, but they're not allowed to turn on their phones or their TVs or their Xbox or anything until they've read their Bible every day. So every day they're in the word, they're in the word, they're in the word. And I give them assignments. We read Hebrews over the summer and Lydia said, well, Hebrews is kind of hard to understand. I said, well, I understand. They don't, they don't have to be scholars in it. They just should read it and just tackle it once this summer. And then they'll get back. We'll get back to it in a couple of years. I'll read it again. And then we did Hebrews and then we went into Mark. We were studying Mark here on Sunday morning. So I had them read Mark. And so they read about a chapter a day, some Psalms and some Proverbs. And they usually go through a book, you know, twice or so before we move on. So we'll go about a month at a time. And then we did first John and um, and, and where they're just reading the word and there's fruit in it and you'll see it. And, and, the, and the, at the end of the day, when my kids are 18 and when they're on decided what they want to do, at least I will have done my best to put the word of God in their hearts and give them the word and give them the word. And that's what, that's what the Bible says here. And you know, the, the, the Bible is full of examples of, of people and children who, who just, they rebel, you know, all, all the biblical greats, David had children that rebelled. And ultimately, it's, it's each individual kid's choice whether they want to walk with the Lord or not. And they've got to make a choice for themselves. But it is our job as parents to, you know, encourage that, instill that. And when, when, when our kids walk with the Lord, there's just no greater joy. You know, little things in life. The other day, Luke, he, uh, he I, I don't know, I, you guys know I, last week I wasn't here. I was deer hunting, and I, I, I rolled my quad over my face and... Something hit me in the face, and I thought it broke my nose, and it cut me pretty good. And I went home and asked Lydia to clean it up and put some stretch band-aids on it. And then when she could see through into my nasal cavity, the hole, she's like, oh, I'm not touching it. you got to go to the doctor. So I went to the ER, and I got nine stitches in my face. And I, I thought I broke my nose, so I'm assuming this was Thursday night. And I was on my way to the ER. And so last week, if you guys were here, Pastor Matt was here. I called Pastor Matt about... 10 o'clock on Thursday night. I said, Hey man, I'm on my way to the ER. And I said, I'm okay, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to have two big black eyes by Sunday and people aren't going to want to look at me. So will you, uh, will you preach on Sunday? I didn't want to wait till Saturday to have them come in last minute. And so Matt, Matt's graciously covered for me. And so I didn't get a deer hunted for, you know, multiple days during the deer hunt and never got a deer. And so, you know, Luke, Luke tells me the other day, Lydia was standing there in the hallway and he's like, dad, He's like, I know you're kind of bummed about knocking a deer, but I, I've been praying for you. And I feel like God wants me to tell you that he's got some blessing for you, that because you didn't get a deer, he's going to do something cool for you. And it's just a little thing, right? But nothing, nothing brings me more joy than just to know that my kids walk with the Lord. And I don't care how much money you give me. I don't care how much whatever blessing to have my son tell me, Dad, 
I'm praying for you, man. And, and I feel like God talked to me to tell you that he's going to bless you because you didn't get that deer. And, and so I don't know what it is. What's it going to be, Luke? <laughs> Money? <laughs> Let me check. Not yet. Um, but, you know, but, but no greater joy in this life than to see that our children walk with the Lord. You know, one of the things that I'm going to be done, I really am going to be done. It, it breaks my heart. And, and I've been in church. I've been a pastor in church for 20 years. And I've watched families. We had a family that had a young girl, and she was in, she was in fifth grade. And she was to the nines and she was little miss and she was beautiful little girl and body was already starting to form and she loved boys and, and, and she was a little miss popular and she, she wanted to come to junior high youth group and we wouldn't let her because she was in fifth grade and she wasn't old enough and her mom completely lost it and flipped out and wanted for her nothing than you know, she didn't care about anything. She was so mad at the pastors and the staff because the, what she wanted for this little girl was not, not to, she wanted her to be cool and she wanted her to have what she wanted to have. And she didn't want to come to junior high youth group so that she could learn about Jesus because the boys that she liked to hang out with and the kids, cause she was too cool for the fifth graders. And, and I just see it over and over and over again. Just this, that sometimes as parents, our goals for our kids, they get off and that we want them to be the best sports stars and the best shooters and hunters and, you know, and reality is there's no greater joy than to see my kids walk with the Lord. If your kid grows up and your kid becomes your, your wildest dream, NFL quarterback of your favorite football team, that, that's not going to bring you as much joy as if your kid walks with Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. And then we're going to have you guys, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to have the kids come out, you guys, because there's no greater joy than to see that my kids walk with the Lord. The worship team is going to come up. Um, we're going to do a song. It'll probably take us about a song and a half. And so we're just going to receive communion as a family of believers. I'm going to let that door open and all the wildness that is the rest of your family is going to come running out of there. Mine included. And I just asked them, I went in earlier and I just asked them to find your parents and come sit with them. So, um, if you want to bring them up and, and have them receive communion with you this morning, we don't always do it this way, but we're going to do it that way this morning. There's, there's two things in communion that I want to share as we get ready to receive communion as a family of believers. The first one is that um, communion is a time of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me, the Bible says. So we're going to invite you as you come up to take this and just remember the amazing price that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins. That, that Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the second thing is, Paul was, again, in one of his letters, he was talking to a church and he told them that communion is a time where we do it um, in reflection. We get out a mirror and, and we check our heart and we say, God, is there something in my life that is sin that you want to get rid of? Is there something in my life that is maybe something I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing? And that you would take this opportunity to praise Jesus Thank him for his, his, his price on the cross. And the second thing is just spend a moment, spend one song seeking God. Maybe God wants to speak something to your heart this morning, individually and personally to you. And so you'll come up, you can receive it with your family. Take it back to your chair. Spend one song to, to pray together, to receive communion. We take the bread first and then the cup. And uh, so let's, let's do that. And then, um, Dan, will you go let the kids know they can, they can come out and find their parents? And uh, let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day. And Father, we thank you for this.
this bread, which represents your body that's broken for us. We thank you for this cup, which represents the blood of Jesus that shed for our sins. And Jesus, according to your word, we, we receive communion this morning and we do it in remembrance of you. And Lord, also that, that as we receive communion and we just, we remember you and we thank you, that God, you would speak to our hearts this morning in church. And if there's something that we need to get right with God, that we would use this opportunity, Lord, just between us and you to get right. And Lord, maybe it's a sin of, of, of commission and we're committing some sin that you've already spoken to us about. And today we're going to leave it at your altar and lay it down. Or maybe it's a sin of omission and it's something that you've been calling us to step out in, to go feed the homeless, to go love our neighbor, to go share the gospel, to give this, to do that. And we've yet to be obedient. Lord, today that that we might get that right with you and step out and be obedient to what you've called us to do. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.